While you were folding episode 46, Live Big, Love Bigger with Katherine Whitaker. Hi, I'm Katherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about my favorite things, marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. I've been a wife for 11 years and a mother for nine. I won't pretend to be an expert. I will introduce you to some amazing guests, ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you so much for the gift of the return to health for our family, especially our daughter Jane, and for the start of resuming some semblance of normalcy and routine around here. Thank you for this patient podcast community that sticks with me despite the show's stops and starts. And thank you also for all of our villages, the kids' teachers, and our wonderful friends, and our family, and our neighbors, and our priests, and religious sisters, and all the people that we encounter as we go about our days, whether we're running errands or just getting from A to B. I ask you to help each of us to honor and reverence you within each of these people. Help us to really slow down, to see you in each of their faces, especially when, as St. Teresa of Calcutta would say, when they are in a most distressing disguise. And help us, no matter what's going on in each of our own lives, to be your face for others. Help us to remember that even the smallest gesture can make such a difference in the life of a neighbor who might be struggling with an invisible cross. We ask you to give us strength and peace and wisdom for each of us in our vocations, and we invite you into everything that's happening in our lives. We pray all this through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it has been a couple of weeks since I released my last episode, episode 45, Back to School Blues. And if you missed the episode, as the title might clue you in, we kind of have had a rough start to the school year at our house. And since I released that episode back on August 28th, I've decided to start releasing the podcast every other week, starting this week. So let's see, today, when you get this episode, it's going to be Wednesday, September 18th. So the next one, in theory, should come out. Wednesday, October 2nd, from here to stick with every other week. Uh, But really quickly, I just wanted to give a quick update on what's been going on in my neck of the woods. Since I last recorded, I had the wonderful opportunity to get to go on a silent retreat at the Cloisters on the Platte, and I'm going to dedicate an entire episode about my retreat experience because I think it definitely deserves it, and I would love to share about it on a future episode. 
Um, but since uh, since that last episode, poor Jane, that's our oldest, our fourth grader, she has missed five days of school. She got sick again after I recorded that episode, and then my mom retired, and we had a great celebration for that, but Philip had to miss it because Jane was sick, and then Jane got sick again the next week, and then our wonderful babysitter got married this past weekend, and Jane got sick at the reception. And this poor girl, we could not figure out what was going on, but we finally figured out what was causing her illness, and she is on the mend. We have officially retired the puke bucket, and I wanted to share a mom pro tip for each of you. If you are in a pinch, pet waste bags make a fabulous vomit catcher in the car or whenever you're on the run. Um, ask me how I know. (laughs) Those things are wonderful. Um, I got a lot of really great feedback from the last episode, but rather than share it today, I want to be sure and move on uh, to this wonderful conversation that I had with Catherine Whitaker. And I promise I'll circle back and share your feedback next episode. But my conversation with Catherine is on the longer side, so I want to get to it right away. I had Catherine Whitaker come on to talk about her new book. It's called Live Big, Love Bigger, Getting Real with Barbecue, Sweet Tea, and a Whole Lot of Jesus. And the book, I loved it, and I think you're going to love it too if you haven't read it already. We had the greatest conversation about how to live, as Catherine says, a hell yes kind of life centered on Christ. And I just hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. Here's Catherine. So um, my name's Catherine Whitaker, and I live in Texas. If you couldn't already tell, and we have six kids, kindergarten to college, three boys, three girls. I'm a convert to Catholicism, so I was raised as an evangelical Protestant and then met this really cute boy on a blonde date at Texas A&M and decided Catholicism looked pretty good. (laughs) So we uh, got married, and about an hour before my rehearsal dinner, I was welcomed into the church And we lived in some beautiful places in the Midwest, in Iowa and Indiana, and then Loth brought us back to Texas. Scott works for the church as a fundraiser, and I started doing work for the church as a graphic designer, and then I started writing. And one thing led to another, and here we are. (laughs) So that's the short story of who I am and and who we are. That was awesome. I'm super impressed you were able to do that so quickly. Um, (laughs) So this new book that you published, I got to read it last week and I loved it. And I have so many different questions and talking points. So we'll see how far we get. And worst case scenario, maybe someday we can do a part two because there you go. There's a lot of awesome stuff here. So before we jump in, do you just want to tell the listeners a little bit about the book and what you were hoping to accomplish or maybe the core message that you were hoping to communicate? Sure. So the name of the book is Live Big, Love Bigger. And the tagline is my favorite, getting real with barbecue, sweet tea, and a whole lot of Jesus. I love that. (laughs) Me too. Me too. It is so So you. It's perfect. It is very me. Really, the premise of the book is living a hell yes kind of life. Mm -hmm. So living an authentic, real life that requires you to make some hard decisions, but ultimately allows you to live 
a life that's centered on Christ. That's C-H-R-I-S-T. <laughs> and the the impetus for really me even considering writing a book was our fifth child, Luke, who was born premature. And so Luke was sort of the big um, thing that really upended everything in our home and in our lives and allowed us, well, I guess maybe forced us to look at the things in our life that were that we were really sort of putting on the back burner or that we hadn't really given a lot of attention to. And over the last decade, we've had a chance to really dig deep and develop a real relationship with Jesus, but also, you know, how do we how do we grow and how do we change because of him and the opportunities that God gave us? So that's kind of where we are and that's what the book is about. I love there are just, like I said, so many different directions this conversation could go. I think I sent you maybe four pages worth of things that I was hoping we could get to. But because you started by talking about Luke, I think that's where I'd like to start to dig in. So Luke was born. How many weeks along were you when he was born? So he was considered what we call a late-term preemie. So he was born at 36 weeks, but he didn't grow well in utero. So he was only about three pounds at birth. And I can only imagine the amount of time that you spent in the NICU and the acute needs that your son had, that that must have put a very real strain on your marriage. And something that I would love for us to talk about is you were so awesome about opening up about the need for therapy and that we need to overcome the stigma of needing help within our marriages, that it's not just a crutch for weak people. And the quote that you gave, you said, you don't fight cancer without consulting an oncologist or extract your wisdom teeth with pliers from the toolbox in the garage. Why do we treat struggles in marriage or in our lives any differently? And I gave a hearty amen when I read that, because you're so right, there is such a stigma for needing help. And I think a lot of us in the Christian world have been raised with the idea you put God first, your husband second, and kids third. But when you had Luke, who needed you so desperately and had real legitimate needs as a preemie in the NICU, how did you still strive to make sure your marriage was in a good place? And when you started to realize maybe things were going off the rails being brave enough to seek out help. What advice do you have for those couples out there that might be having a real legitimate need of either a child or an aging parent and they're struggling to keep that the marriage in its proper place? Is that making any sense? Yeah, um, I think I'll start first by saying that Scott and I had um, a good marriage. We had some good things in place. And at that point, we've been married about 13 years. Okay. But I think the immense, so we knew at 20 weeks that things were not going well with the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So we had about 16 weeks between the, the day that we got that news to the day that he was born. And so, yeah, there was a lot. And, and at that point, we had four children under the age of eight. So when Luke was born, we had four five children under the age of eight. So just in any normal household, that's a lot of stress because young children are physically demanding. So we had that going on and then we had Luke. And his stay was not an easy stay. I'll let people read the book to kind of figure out what all that means. But it was incredibly high stress and we were sort of living day by day. Like, is he going to make it? What are we going to do here? So that acute stress put a lot of strain on our marriage. And 
I mean, I don't know what else to say, Catherine, except I'm not sure that there's anything that we could have done to to have prevented us making it to counseling. I think mm-hmm. that every marriage, no matter what the crosses are or how beautifully easy it may be, I believe every marriage can benefit from counseling. And we had a lot of friends around us, and it's not that we sought them out, but they certainly, God put them in our lives at just the right moment. And they would say things like, have you considered counseling? Or, oh, you know, when I went to counseling, and no one um, no one accused us of having a bad marriage. No one accused us of doing it wrong, but they lovingly shared just bits and pieces of the graces of therapy that they had experienced. And these were good, faithful Christian couples. And so, for me, that was an eye-opening experience to realize that I'm not weak. We're not doing it wrong. We didn't screw up. Like, Sometimes you just need additional help. Just like when you have a brand new baby, sometimes it's okay to tell people, yes, I need you to cook meals for me, or I need you to do things for me, because you can't, it's not possible to go through a massive upending like that and to come out on the other side and have done everything by yourself. Can't do it. And so, yeah, go ahead. You just, you have to, you have to ask for help. You have to. And there is this massive stigma within Maybe, maybe not just Christian circles, but maybe just circles in general that tell us that therapy is for when you are not strong enough to figure it out yourself. So therefore, mm-hmm. by asking for help, you're weak. When, when the, tr- the opposite is really what the truth is, is that when you ask for help, that's when you become stronger. And I love that you said that it's not necessarily because you did something that you could have prevented, that there was something you could have been doing differently so that you didn't end up going to therapy, that you had this major life-changing event happen within your marriage, within your family life, having a premature baby that needed you so badly. And that that does put a real strain on your marriage that life's going to throw you things that you're not always prepared for. And it drives me crazy when people say the phrase, God won't give you something you can't handle, because I kind of <laughs> want to say, well, of course he'll allow it because otherwise we think we're God. I mean, yeah. I do all the time in my life. And I imagine that that experience forced you and Scott to lean on each other and to lean on God in a way you never had to before. Yes, that's an understatement. Yes, it did. Um, yeah, you know, I, I actually hate it when people say that, that God doesn't give you more than you can handle because Luke was a lot more than what I could handle. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I... I couldn't, I couldn't do it alone. And I had, well, we had a lot of people come to our aid and I believe that was a grace that God gave us because we'd poured so much into our communities, you know, both faith and school and neighborhood and all those places. And when the tables were turned and we were the ones that needed help, I mean, the graces that we returned in response were just, I remember sitting in my, in my, in the room with, with with Luke, the Nikki room, and I just remember thinking, I'm so overwhelmed by grace. Like I couldn't believe how many people wanted to help, and they didn't just—they weren't just saying, "Oh, if you need help, we'll do whatever you need." I mean, they were tangible, real, showing up, being present in ways that I never dreamed I needed. So it was—it was a very humbling experience. Um, yeah, that—that that would probably be an understatement. And I imagine in a lot of ways, too, it taught you how to be a better friend when your loved ones are going through struggles like that. Because so often, even what you just said about not giving the blanket, let me know if you need anything, 
that you learned because of what you went through, that it was more helpful when you had a friend who said, I'm going to bring you dinner on Thursday night. Is five o'clock okay? And to <laughs> get really like specific. Have a toddler. Do you want the yeah. red cup or the blue cup? You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't give them a choice. You just tell them how you're going to help. Yeah. Um, yes. And I was grateful. You know, that was sort of the advent of social media. I mean, Facebook was definitely around Twitter. I think Twitter was on the scene. Instagram didn't exist. So that makes me sound so old. But no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, those, those social media channels, which now I think sometimes oscillate us. In those days when I was sitting in the NICU and feeling very oscillated because there were a lot of times I, I couldn't go see people because of just the, the germ factor. We couldn't risk bringing infection to Luke. So that was sort of my lifeline to connecting with people or letting them know that was back when blogs were super popular. So that's how I connected. So even though the virtual world sometimes gets a bad rap in that particular scenario, it allowed me to connect. And then post NICU, it allowed me to make real life connections, which ultimately ended up changing my life. So there, it was a double-edged sword, but for the most part in that particular instance, social media and allowing me to connect with people that I wouldn't normally be able to connect with saved me. I think there was something to be said for the blog connection when you could seek out the writer that you love and you follow their story. And people, it seemed like me, were able to have much deeper, longer conversations there. And you had to really seek out that blog. And it seemed to bring about more of an intentionality than maybe there might be when you're able to just scroll through your Instagram or Facebook <laughs> feed kind of thing. And right. I know my own personal blog was a big help to me when I was going through a miscarriage. And that was when I started to see the value of those online relationships. But yeah, there's definitely a, a beautiful, awesome time and a place for Instagram and Facebook and all those things. But I think the blogging world had a really, it for me, it fit a really, it filled a really real need that I had in those early, really isolating years of motherhood. And it sounds like it was a real gift to you during the NICU stay too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's how I found, it's how I found a lot of people that shared commonality and that in fact I want to say that's how Bonnie Engstrom and I officially maybe it was through Twitter I'm trying to remember whether it was blogging or Twitter but at any rate it was digitally and we had a shared NICU experience for those that don't know Bonnie's son is um, the alleged miracle for Venerable Fulton Sheen so that's a whole other awesome story but yes. at any rate we really connected on that NICU stay and I wouldn't I mean how else would I have met Bonnie? She lives in Illinois. I live in right. Texas. I mean, there's no way that we would have met otherwise. And then I think of all the fruitful friendships that I've built over the last 10 years with social media, but also because of Luke. And it blows me away to think about all these women that are in my life that would never have been there otherwise had it not been for Luke. So even though it was devastating and horrifying and terrifying to be in that particular situation and in the NICU and doing all the crazy things that came along with it, I think of on the flip side, all the graces that God poured into me when it came to authentic friendships were pretty awesome. So when it comes to um, the counseling side of things, 
when it was your first time going through that experience with Scott, do you just have general advice for couples that are thinking about finding a counselor and sitting down for what, um, cause I imagine it's very difficult for a lot of us to find not only a solid counselor who's going to be on the same page with us, but to have the same core beliefs and support us in the faith and also to be rooting for our marriage as well. So do you have any best tips or advice for people who are trying to find a counselor right now? Sure. I think you can obviously ask your pastor or your priest, I think is a good place to start. They certainly counsel couples. I wouldn't necessarily consider them the counselor, but I think they could be the segue to finding a counselor. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's something to be said for spiritual direction, but there's also something to be said for counseling. I think they're two very separate, very different things. Also, your Catholic diocese, your your local Catholic diocese should have a listing of counselors. Um, if and, and specifically, if you're looking for a Catholic counselor, they would be a good place to start. And then, I typically will ask couples that I know that have good strong marriages. Have you? I'll ask. Have you ever gone to counseling? And who did you go see, or who would you recommend? And usually, within that circle of people both either at your parish or among your group of friends, you can find someone that you can trust. I would also say most counselors, at least this was the case with ours, is that she allowed us to do couples counseling with her. But if we wanted to do individual counseling, so like if I wanted to just go see her on my own, she said that she would choose. She would either be my individual counselor or she would be our couple counselor, but she would not be both. Mm. And I felt like that's a really important thing to recognize when you feel like you need to go um, to counseling or to a therapist that you need someone to work through, that having two separate people, if you're going to do marriage and, you know, individual and marriage, that it needs to be two different people. Um, And then in addition to that, I found that they were just a really good third party, non-biased person to listen to what we were struggling with. You know, they didn't know our families. They didn't know us as a couple beyond what they saw in that room. You know, their context was specifically and solely based on what we shared with them. And I felt really confident to kind of share the deepest recesses of our hearts and our marriage because I knew that this was a safe space. And so obviously trust. And I think if you don't trust them, it's okay to end the session or end the relationship and say, okay, we're going to find somebody else until you find the right person. You don't have to just stay with the first person that you see. Um, it's okay to, to find the right one, and it might take a little while. The other topic that I would love to talk about today is your six-month moratorium on activities. <laughs> this was amazing. This probably was <laughs> the part of the book where I was underlining at least every paragraph, one thing in there, because I so identified with this. Can you explain to the listeners what I'm talking about? Yes. So after our sixth baby was born, we had gotten into this rhythm of signing kids up for activities and doing things. And we really got into this rhythm, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then she came along and I felt just the massive weight (laughs) of all the responsibilities and all the obligations. And it sort of felt like I had no control, like none. We were stressed out. The kids were screaming all the time, um, 
grades were going down at school. I mean, you could just feel the pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. And finally, one night I sat down with my husband. I was like, that's it. And so we, we axed everything. We pulled the kids out of all the sports, all the extracurriculars. I bowed out of every volunteer obligation that I had. And we put a six month moratorium on everything. Yeah. <laughs> which our friends thought was absolutely bananas. But it was needed. And when we came out of that, it really allowed us to look at all the things that we were doing and, and are they feeding our family spiritually? Are they are they helping us grow closer to Christ? Or are we just doing them because we feel like that's what we should be doing? Mm-hmm. Because that's what everybody else is doing or that's what you have to do to put on your college applications or that's what you have to do to get into high school or you know into this particular organization. And it just really gave us some much needed focus. So I believe, Catherine, if, if I could go back and tell the Catherine of, you know, 16, 17 years ago when she just had one baby, I felt all this pressure when they were younger. Oh, they're a girl. They have to be enrolled in dance. Oh, they're a boy. You have to get them involved in sports. Oh, they're this. You have to do that. And instead of just saying, it's okay to just give your kids a bucket and a shovel and some cars and say, go play outside. Yeah. Um, here's a bucket, a bucket of blocks and um, playing cards. Entertain yourself with a sibling. Like, I feel like we put so much pressure. And now that I have a kiddo going into college, I can tell you that a lot of that pressure is unwarranted and it's unnecessary because your kid is still going to succeed in life, even if they hadn't, if even if they didn't start taking dance at age five. Really? But we put this pressure on ourselves. <laughs> yes. So there's, you can save yourself a lot of money and a lot of heartache. And I'm not saying those are all bad things, sure. they're all good things. But you have to discern what's the best time, best use of your time, the best use of your financial resources, and also just your emotional bandwidth within your family. Mm-hmm. And it's okay that your family may look different than other families, but you just have to live with purpose and intentionality. And I think that through that moratorium, that's what we figured out in that process. Do you think for yourself, because you strike me as being a very high achiever, and I've followed your blog for several years, and you pride yourself in organization, just having the outer order to bring the inner calm to your home. And when it's lived out in a healthy way, it brings a lot of goodness to your life. You also touched on that later in the book. But for now, I'm talking about just the activities and schedule stuff. Um, but did you feel like it was also part of your identity and having to let go of the part of yourself that people, people looked to Catherine Whitaker as the person who gave the default yes, and you had to let go of that person and become the woman who was going to give the intentional no, and to be okay with being that new person? Yeah, I mean, I felt like a failure, mm-hmm. Catherine. I mean, I sat on my couch and thought, I'm failing. I've, I have six kids. Like, why can I, why do I not have this figured out? You know, by now it should be a well-oiled machine. And instead I had just gotten myself into this big cycle of saying yes. And because activator is one of my top five strengths, I'm a doer. I get things done. And to admit that I could not get all the things done made me feel like a failure. And that was a, that was a big moment for me to be like, all right, I can still be an activator. We can still do things as a family. We can still, quote unquote, get things done, but we can do them with a whole lot more peace and calm than what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. But that was a 
hard pill for this top A mom to, yeah. find, to swallow. But it was necessary because I could see, I mean, I, I could see it. Like you could just see down the road and be like, this is going to end very badly. <laughs> Unless we jump off the train right now, this is going to be a colossal failure and everyone is just going to come crashing and burning. And we just, we had experienced that before with Luke, with bits and pieces of knowing what it was like to crash and burn. And I was like, I can't knowingly walk into that again. And we we hadn't gotten in so deep that we couldn't get ourselves out. And I think sometimes people feel like, oh man, I'm in so deep. I've committed all these, all this money or all this time or all these resources I can't get out. And I, I think what I learned through that process is that you're never in too deep. You can yeah. always say no. It It may cost you more to say no. But by saying no, you gain so much more by by doing that. But it's just it's just the cost is a little more the deeper you go. But it's never you never reach the point of no return. You can still turn your family around. It's just going to take maybe more time and and maybe a little bit more heartache than what you hoped it would. Yeah, but it's never too late, and that it's never is such late. a word of comfort. But what about um? The whole, what does the actual nitty gritty discernment process look like? Is it just that the trial and error with the different well, activities? part of it was us asking our kids, like, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, there there was a part of us I think that were like, oh, um, John Paul should play baseball or Anna Laura should play piano, but we never really. I mean, we'd ask the kids, you know, do you want to do this, whatever. But I sort of felt like we'd gotten into the habit of just signing them up for things because we knew quote, it was good for them. Yeah. Instead of saying, I mean, I think there's a delicate balance of pushing your kids into activities that you know really are going to be good for them because you're the adult, you're the parent. But we hadn't gotten into this practice of saying, what do you love to do? Sure. Do you love to dance? Do you love to play baseball? Do you love science and math? Like, what, like, gets you all revved up. What do you love to do? And then when you know what your kids love to do, when you know what their strengths are, then we started looking around at things and we're like, how can we cultivate that strength? How can we cultivate that gift and help them grow and learn? And sometimes that gift and that that excitement about that particular um, event or extracurricular lasts a year or two, and then they change their minds and they go on to something else. And we had to be okay with that changing. Yeah. And we also had to be okay with them doing something in a different way than what we originally envisioned it would look like. Mm-hmm. So it also encouraged good dialogue between us and our kids because it's easy to get on the path, particularly as, as your kids get older. Oh, they've always played baseball or oh, they've always been involved in robotics. So therefore they must do it until they graduate from high school. But sometimes kids don't want to do that. They want to change. They get a new group of friends. They have a new interest and it's okay for them to explore what their gifts and talents are and then how those can serve Jesus. And that when you figure that out, like what, I have a good friend, she always says, is that a salvation issue? If it's not, then why are you getting all worked up over it? And I thought that was great advice. Yes. Tanya is a, a wise woman and a dear friend of mine. So that, just that simple question, what do you want to do? What what do you love? And now let's find something to match that. Mm-hmm. And we typically have a rule in our house. That it's a one activity per kind of season per kid. So our kids are not allowed to be in multiple sports at the same time because they're students. So they need to study. Um, and they also need to have an outlet. And then, you know, we serve the church. And so there are 
many opportunities for them to grow in different ways. But we found that that one activity per kid per season is a pretty good, that's a pretty good lane for us to be in right now. I love I, your friend's advice is phenomenal. And I need <laughs> good, to isn't it? put it on my forehead. <laughs> and I, I love what you're talking about with there has to be a sort of detachment as parents with what we think our children are going to be interested in. And then when they sign up for the activity, you have it in your head that, oh, we signed up for a piano lessons. This is going to be for the rest of this child's life. And they're going <laughs> to love it forever and ever and ever. And it hardly ever works out that way, that we as parents have to be able to let go and allow the child to pivot in whatever direction they're feeling like they need to go. But I'd love to also hear the flip side of that. When you have a child who is so uber passionate about an activity, but it maybe isn't exactly what you thought you were signing up for, and it becomes this larger-than-life activity. Have you ever had that experience as a parent where you, as the parent, have had to shut it down or maybe go a different direction and choose something that wasn't quite as overwhelming and navigating that as a mom? You know, I wouldn't say one activity specifically but as a house so as a high school mom so our oldest like I said is going to college in the fall you know we sort of had what we call a meet Jesus meeting mm-hmm. um I think it was his junior year and he was trying to decide he really wanted to play basketball but he was also trying to keep his grades up he just started a job at our local grocery store and so he had a lot of irons in the fire and I think it was one night that we sat down and were like Okay, let's be realistic about what you have, what you have going on in your life, and what can you, kind of, where are you right now? Because you've, it seems like you're really, really stressed out, and that was a really, that was a real grown-up conversation with him because we had an opportunity to kind of lay out these are all the things that are going on, and then he ultimately made the decision of what to give up and what to keep. So we sort of relinquished control. We said, you know, we know what you, we know what you should do, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we need you to take ownership of what you think you should do. And then you have to live with that consequence. So if you're willing to live with that consequence, we will support you. And it's probably going to be really painful because we're going to have to bite our tongue. But ultimately at the end of the day, he did, he he made some good changes and they were hard changes for him. Um, But I think that, through that process, it allowed us because we put a lot of worth and identity into our children's achievements and what they accomplish. And sometimes our attachment to that identity doesn't allow our kids to grow. And so it's been a it's been a ebb and flow here in our house of us learning how to let go and us learning how to let them make the choices that they need the older that they get to to decide how, where does God want me to go and what do I want to do. But that all kind of starts when they're younger. And I think that if you can get in the habit of leading your children towards things that help them grow and change, that when it comes time for them to make hard decisions, that hopefully those lessons you've taught them, you can help them navigate how to how to pull themselves out themselves. I'm not sure, you know, when they're in middle school, elementary school, I think that's really when you have to be the parent. You know, you have to be the one to step in and say, we're going to dial that back. But as they get older, particularly when they get into high school, the goal here is for them, you know, to live independently from you. And they can't live independently if they're not if they're not allowed to make decisions themselves. And I will say as a mom, that's probably the hardest thing for me to do mm-hmm. is to allow my kids to fail. Not that I'm a 
helicopter one, but I think the new uh, the new thing is um, the lawnmower. Like you want to mow down all yeah. the obstacles so that they don't have to. But so it's hard for me to let my kids fail. And my, I'm really grateful that I have a husband who's fully and 100% willing to let them fail. So that's been that's been a really good. It's been a good life lesson for me. As much as we say we give our kids life lessons, our kids are learning them too, as well as I am. So, oh, amen. Yeah. And those are things that I don't know an adult that's not still struggling with all of those core questions that you were just talking about trying to walk with Will through as a senior in high school. Most of my girlfriends, we're all working through that stuff today in our mid 30s, and I know we'll be wrestling all of it beyond. So I think that's phenomenal. And I imagine that that will also be the same hardest part of parenting for me as well. So thanks for being a yeah, good model. I mean, model. I don't think that you ever, I mean, I don't want people to think, oh, Catherine has it all figured out and her household is perfect and all that sort of thing. I mean, I, <laughs> I think it's a, I've never had a high schooler go to college before. So this is a new season for us. I've never had a six baby go to kindergarten before. So that's sure. a new season for us. So it's all it's all just one big Petri dish of figuring it all out. Like no one has it all figured out and no one does it completely right all the time. So we make plenty of mistakes. In fact, my husband looked at me the other day and he goes, Catherine, we're in our forties and we're still making mistakes. I was like, you're right. And we're still learning from them. So I can't expect my kids to not make mistakes and not learn either if I'm in my forties and I'm still doing it. So it's part of it. It's just part of, part of being a parent. Well, there was one part in this six-month moratorium part of your book where you talked, you had this quote, and I was so grateful for it because I think a lot of moms are afraid to admit this. So I'm just going to read this quick. You said, if asked to choose between sitting down to play Candyland for 10 minutes with the kids or wiping down sticky kitchen walls, my default was always the walls, and I hated myself for it. And I think this quote spoke to me because... It, it speaks to the, I need to achieve, I need to have the house clean, not perfect, but clean. And I really struggle when the four walls of my home, especially for me right now, being in the newborn phase, feeling like my life is out of control if the house is out of control. And I grasp with the control of cleanliness as a way for me to feel like I'm on top of life. And I would love to hear you talk through that when you're in different stages and having six kids with not only how do you play with them and find the room for the play, you already spoke to that, but how do you connect with your children individually? And what does that look like in real life? Because I imagine you don't have, maybe you do, an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't even, you know what? Believe it or not, Excel freaks me out. I can't do Excel. I don't know how to do it. Isn't that Catherine funny? Whitaker doesn't I do know. Excel. I'm shocked. No, I don't. <laughs> okay, so how do you connect okay. with all the kids? What does that look like? The real um, messy version. A real messy version is I actually pray every morning, Jesus, please help me find time to be present to the kid that needs me to be present to them. Mm. It's not possible for me to be present to all six of my children oh, thank every you single for day. That. Say it again. <laughs> At every moment, it's just, it's not, it's not possible for me to be present to my husband every day either. I mean, I think I try to be present to the person that needs me the most or the people that need me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just this week, my daughter um, and I snuck away and it was nothing like I didn't even wake up saying, oh, I should do something with her today. 
just the opportunity presented itself. The beauty of having older kids is that they're available to hold down the fort while you go run an errand or go do something. And I had a couple little errands to do. And then we just kind of snuck in a fun little girl thing. And we were able to do it together. And it was just this moment. And I've learned as my kids get older, those moments are kind of fewer and farther between. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity presents itself, I kind of take it. And I had to recognize I'm not going to be the mom that sits down with my kids and plays Candyland. And that's okay. But I am the mom that does other things with my kids. And and that's okay because I'm playing to my strengths and my gifts and I enjoy the time more. And I think my kids do too because they get the best part of me and I get the best part of them. So I think you have to know where you are gifted and where God is calling you is what are your strengths as a mom Mm -hmm. and instead of trying to be like well I know this mom does that or this mom does that I should be like that we got to just embrace who we are like what are what has God gifted you with and how is he asking you to be a mom to these children and rest and knowing I mean that's the danger of Instagram right like you see what other moms are doing you're like oh I should be doing that but maybe you shouldn't and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to know what you're good at and you have to to be present to your kids. So I think the older that my kids have gotten, um I've really looked for moments and, and they always come I feel like at like 11:30 at night or you know noon right when I'm trying to to do some other things, but usually I just I can feel the nudge from the Holy Spirit and he's like, mm-hmm. "Catherine, put down like it's okay if the kitchen doesn't get cleaned right now because this teenager just said something and you need to listen because they never tell you this so whatever it is you know like put the laptop down and look at them and and hash it out and that only came through trial and error that only came through me doing it wrong to figure out how to do it right oh yeah because i definitely worship at at the altar of the clean countertop it is (laughs) Like, it's a real thing. And to be able to put down the rag and look the child that needs you in the eye sounds so silly saying that out loud, but it's a real thing. And that is a big temptation of mine. And reading that quote, just, it just made, it liberated me from the shame of it. And I think we have to keep talking about it as moms, because otherwise we're going to keep beating ourselves up. But I think we're better off just acknowledging it that it's a struggle that some of us have and it's okay, but we need to work harder to overcome it instead of just, yep, I'm going to continue to worship at the God of the clean countertop because. Well, if you can, if you could look at my house right now, so I've found the sweet spot for me is I just needed a kitchen that has a clean, um, a clean sink. So there's no dirty dishes. And I found that if I can do that every day, like right now my ironing board's out with shirts that I haven't ironed in like three days, we, nobody's bed is made, you know, we're, it's fine. But the Catherine of yesteryear that would have driven her nuts, but I found that there's certain areas in the house that have to be clean. And then once that's clean, then I'm like, all right, I can let go of the rest. And then usually about I don't know. Every three or four weeks, I'll look. I'll look around, and and my husband knows, and he's like, "Okay, gang, everybody in the living room, we're going to give everyone a job, and we take twenty minutes, and everyone does their thing, and then it's done." And then I'm like, "All right, that's what I needed to like before I spend, you know, completely out of control because yeah. I am a neat freak. I do like order, but oh my gosh, hello, I have six kids. Like, it's not right. always going to be." What you see on the blog, my my office does not look anything <laughs> like it does on the blog, but it's functioning and it's working and that's okay. So the clean sink 
in the kitchen is my thing. And then once that's clean, the rest can go to pot. <laughs> it yeah, it no, is what it is. So I have the same thing. Yep. I think you got to know what your, what your threshold is. That's my threshold. If that's clean, I can handle messes everywhere else. And then I can be present to the people that I need to be at. But if that's not clean, I'm always like, can everyone just give me 10 minutes? Let me do this. And then I'm all yours. And I found that that's, that's what I need to, to be the mom that I need to be and be present, which sounds silly, but no, it doesn't. that's, that's my thing. <laughs> I love that. But I think it also takes a great discipline for your entire family to have enough margin so that when those times do happen at 1130 at night, and you're trying to close down the kitchen or whatever you're doing, that you're able to push pause, and you don't feel like you're running on the hamster wheel that it's, yeah. it's not going to throw everything off track if all of a sudden life happens as it always does. I think we, we act surprised when we're running on the hamster wheel when life happens when me as a mother of five, you as a mother of six, we can't be because that's life with kids. I always say they're gonna, they're my path to heaven. Because yes. without them, I would not I would not know all my faults. Like they tell me my faults daily, sometimes hourly of how I'm failing as a mom. And it's always a good, I, I joke. I was like, I don't need to do the examination of conscience at night because my kids gave it to me all day long. <laughs> so I know, I know where my, I know where I'm failing. I know where I need to do some work on. The key is me admitting it mm-hmm. and doing something about it. Yeah. I know what my faults are. I don't, I know what they are. It's like walking into confession. I was like, I know what I need to tell the priest, but now what am I going to do to make it better when I walk out of the confessional? Amen. So, Well, I think that's a perfect segue to the last topic that I'd love for us to talk about today, because I want to honor your time. Um, but I would love, before I let you go, if we could talk about prayer and how I'm sure that has changed in your life from when you were single to getting married to your early life as a mother with really young kids to now being a mom with six oldest going to be a freshman in college and your youngest going off to kindergarten. How has your prayer life changed and how has your idea of what a quote unquote healthy mom prayer life looks like, how that has changed over the years? Well, I think when I was younger, growing up as a Protestant, I really just reserved prayer for times that we were at church. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we prayed at, at dinner time and those sort of things in our home. But I think I had a false misconception of what prayer should look like. I remember going to a retreat one time, and the woman that was speaking got up and said, oh, I have my coffee in the morning, and I sit on the back porch, and she went like through this two-hour litany of all the things that she, and it sounded beautiful. I remember sure. thinking, wow, that's that's a prayer life. But I also remember thinking, I have no prayer life. Mm. And that was my, that was sort of like my barometer, like that's, that's what I should be doing. And I was discounting all the ways in which I was praying throughout the day. And I mentioned a story in there with a priest yes. that I had sort of an epiphany. And that epiphany allowed me to be free to pray whenever the moment presented itself throughout the day. You know, I'm not a cloistered nun. Um, I'm not a widow or I'm not an empty nester. So my house looks very different and it's very busy. And I don't have two hours to set aside. I mean, I don't even have five minutes to pee, much less two hours to pray. So Mm -hmm. how am I going to do it? And so it started out when the kids were younger, I would just pray as I would do a load of laundry or I would offer up a load of dishes or I would just, it would, it would 
have to happen organically. Now that the kids are getting a little bit older, I find myself able to go to, to mass with the school. They go to Catholic school. So we have two different Catholic schools that they're at. So they each have mass on two different days. So that's been a really beautiful, unexpected gift of the Holy Spirit that I've been able to participate in. Um, I have a chance to pray rosary on Fridays at the high school with a group of about four moms, and I never prayed the rosary, and I love doing it, and that's really just happened in the last two or three years. So I'm finding that the pockets of my day are, that is sort of shifting, and I'm trying to be open to how God wants me to pray. I do a lot of praying in my van with praise and worship music because, you know, I'm a, as a God-loving, God-fearing Protestant growing up, that was like my jam. That's how I spoke to Jesus, and it still very much is how I speak to Him. Mm-hmm. It's how I hear Him. And then for me, the the best way that I find to pray is by writing. That's when I really feel like I have the most authentic relationships with with Jesus. In fact, when I was writing this book, I felt like it was one long um, prayer. We had a mm-hmm. lot of discussions and arguments about what I should <laughs> and what I shouldn't say and how I should say it, but it was really... A, a really beautiful spiritual experience for me. So you got to find your way to speak to Christ. You know, maybe it's writing, maybe it's cleaning, maybe it's maybe it is praying for two hours, maybe it's going to mass. You know, maybe it's reading scripture. I don't know what that looks like for you, but just know that I think for me the best of us I can say is that it it's it's ebbed and flowed as I've grown up as a mom and as I've and as I've grown up as a daughter of the King that I've kind of learned how to speak to him and he knows how to speak to me. And I try to I try to be flexible in how he wants me to pray that day. So I'm not the kind of person, Catherine, that gets up in the morning and prays for five minutes. Like I just, I've always said, Jesus, I know you're going to find me. You know my schedule today. So you find me, I'll find you and we'll chat. We'll chat mm-hmm. and we'll chat whenever and wherever it happens. And that's been a good, that's been a good, little routine for me. And it may change. Maybe if you talk to me in five or 10 years, it might look very different, but that's what it looks like today. And I'm okay with that. I'm content with that. I feel like the relationship that we have is much deeper and much more authentic than it was even just five years ago. He's been kind of speaking to my heart here lately. I think he knows um, this struggle of letting kids go, like how hard that is. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time asking Mary for some guidance on that. And, you know, I felt like he's really met me there. As a matter of fact, the priest that we heard this weekend said something really beautiful, and I want to share it with you. So I wish I could take credit for it, but this is from <laughs> Father Brian. He's uh, the campus director at Texas A&M. But he said, sometimes we often overlook one of the most important parts of Mass, and that's the bringing up of the gifts. And he mm-hmm. said, when they bring up the gifts, he said, we sometimes look at that as like Catholic intermission. Like, oh, that's when we can go to the bathroom. That's <laughs> And I was laughing. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's almost always when I send my kids to the bathroom if they have to go. But he said, as, and, or, or he said we're trying to figure out you know, who, who do they choose to bring up the gifts. He said, as, as they bring up the gifts, he said, you should be looking at the altar and laying your crosses, laying your most precious prayer intentions at the foot of the altar mm-hmm. as they receive the gifts. And that completely changed how I experience Mass. I mean, talk about an epiphany moment. I thought, oh, Jesus, you want me to lay some stuff at the foot of the cross? I have a whole long laundry list. Mm -hmm. But boy, did that make the consecration even more powerful because I felt like I had left it all there. And now I could focus on the consecration and the receiving of Jesus. So that was a very powerful moment for me. And that's something that we can all do because it doesn't take more time. It just yeah. takes more intention. 
Yeah. Oh, I think what you just said just now is the key to a mom's prayer life, that it doesn't have to take more time. It doesn't have to be the two hours. It can be five intention-filled minutes washing the dishes at the kitchen sink. It can be you surrendering your prayer life to God saying, we're going to chat when you find that time for me in my schedule today, God, and we're going to meet together and make it happen. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to happen at some point. But letting him meet you there instead of trying to wrangle your life into some square peg round hole scenario that's never going to work as a mom with all these kids. Yeah, I I laugh because as a person who plans every part of her day, that's the one part that I don't plan and it's always the most fruitful. So I guess I'm finally learning the lesson. I should read my book, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And everyone else should read your book too. There, I mean, we only scratched the surface of all the different topics and questions I had for today, but I want to honor your time. So I'm going to let you go. But before I do, when does the book officially hit the presses and where can people find it? So August 30th is when it officially hits bookshelves and gosh, you can find it all the places where you buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Ave Maria, Target, Walmart, all those places. Uh, you can go online and order it. And yes, I am part terrified, part excited about what God is going to do with it. So it's a big leap of faith. And I loved doing it. I put my whole, I put my whole heart in there. And so I hope that some of the things that I say in there really resonate with people and allow them to see Jesus in their own life. That was the whole, that was the whole reason for doing it. Well, it sure touched my heart, and I have a million more questions for you. And I know you mentioned something about a speaking tour. Do you have any information available about that today, or do you want me just to post that on the website when you have it? So I should be releasing it here within the next week or so. And so, yes, I will send it to you, and it'll have all the places that I'm going to be, and that's very exciting. So I'm looking forward to meeting people in real life and connecting with them and sharing all of that in person with people. It will be such a tremendous gift. It's going to be such a good time. I can't wait. Well, I am so excited for you. For people who are listening to this show and want to start following you in addition to buying your book, where can they find you online? So you can find me online at kwhitaker96. So that's W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R 96. That's on Twitter. Instagram and Pinterest and then Team Whitaker on Facebook. And yes, I'm I'm an avid uh, follower of Instagram. So if you're looking to find me, that's probably the best way to reach me. But I love um, I love the connections that we get to make there both virtually and in real life. It's pretty awesome. Awesome. Well, Catherine- oh, and then I guess my blog is teamwhitaker.org. So yes, you can go there as well. Yes. And everyone, you have to check out this blog for all of the organization tips that you'll ever need. I finally tackled (laughs) my kids' uh, artwork and all of their school papers using the system that you implemented. And I'll post the link to that in the show notes because that was a game changer. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to be doing that this week. That's funny that you mentioned that. So yes, I need to pull that post out myself. Well, you changed my life over here. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. I loved your book so much, Catherine, and I'm thrilled to hear that it was a blessing for you somehow, as well as you were trying to talk with Jesus and, as you said, argue with him (laughs) throughout the process. But I'll be praying for you these next couple months and as you go on the speaking tour and for all the readers. But thank you so much for giving of your time today to speak with the listeners about your book. Thanks so much, Catherine. I appreciate it. Well, God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 
I had so much fun talking with Catherine about the topics in her book. If you haven't read it already, get yourself a copy of Live Big, Love Bigger. This book, it keeps picking up five-star reviews everywhere that I am seeing it online, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Congratulations, Catherine, on your first book. I think it is blessing a lot of people, and I hope you are having so much fun on your book tour. So listeners, um, I'm including a link in the show notes. If you're interested in meeting Catherine in person, maybe getting her to sign one of her books, she is on her book tour right now, and I'm including a link in the show notes so you can see where she's going to be speaking. And I want to hear what you thought about our conversation today. Get in touch. Did you um, Do you struggle with living a hell yes kind of life? Has God given you more than you can handle and blessed you in the process like he did for Catherine? What about navigating calendar commitments or not getting overextended? I know I loved hearing about Catherine's insights on that. Um, The other thing, feeling the relief that I did when Catherine was talking about her approach to connecting with her kids individually and her prayer life as a mom. She shared so much beautiful wisdom there. I want to hear what you thought about it and what's working for you in those different areas. You can email me at podcast at or find me on Facebook or Instagram or send me a voicemail on Voxer. That's always my favorite. Just search for Catherine Boucher. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a positive rating or a review in iTunes to help get the show in front of as many listeners as possible. And there's a link for how to do that in the show notes as well. Until next time, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.